And uh, let's turn to the, the book of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we're going to be uh, reading a, a passage of Scripture that is the first. Maybe I'd be, as I'm doing, as I'm uh, unfolding this for you and you're turning to your Bibles, um, it leads into some of the things we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We looked at uh, the storms of life and and uh, getting through those with Jesus Christ. And then, then we looked at literally the truth. And uh, Pilate at Jesus' betray I, I'm sorry, he was betrayed and was at his fourth trial, uh, all of them illegal. Six of them he endured in a rather short time. But the fourth one, Pilate asked a question, what is truth? What is truth? And we last week we looked at the significance of that. And we look at our country, our world today. I'll tell you what, we need truth. And we unfolded and unpacked that, and we find really Jesus Christ is truth. And today we find the truth, Jesus Christ. Uh, he has seven statements in the Gospel of John where he declares, I am. The first one we find is, I am the bread of life. Um, let's continue now in John chapter 6, and I would like to begin the reading um, in, we'll start actually back in verse 22. It's a rather lengthy reading, but. Uh, with your permission, uh, actually, I'm not even going to wait for your permission. We're going to dive right in. John 6, 22, the day following. Oh, we, we need to find out, what are we following? Um, it's interesting how Jesus always sets it up. And, and yeah, we will read in a moment. But there's something that Jesus accomplished in two different occasions, miracles that were quite, quite extensive. Uh, there was people who were following. In fact, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 6, it says that a great multitude followed him, watch, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. So he was, he was healing sick people, but something else of very much significance had just happened. Literally, there's 5,000 people that are gathered around this lake, the Sea of Galilee, and he asks his disciples, he says, uh, what do you think, what do you think? We shouldn't send them away, we better feed them. Well, the, the bean counter of the group he said, oh, man, that would take 200 denarii. To us, that would be 200 days' wages to feed this group. And not only that, but we don't have anywhere to get the food. So he, he assessed it like we would, right? Go, go to your checkbook, see what you have. And the other guy, he chased the crowd, and he says, I found a kid that's got five loaves and a couple of fish, but what's that? And with God, nothing is impossible. And literally, Jesus Christ took that and fed over 5,000 that were seated there with that young man's lunch. And then uh, they were going to make him king. These are all, and you say, are you actually ever going to get to the sermon? This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. It was just context, so we lead into it. And you guys are laughing. Yeah, but we'll, get, we'll get as far as we get. That's how it works here, right? <laughs> At any rate, um, as they were contemplating that and what this man could do, they wanted to make him king. Does that not sound right? If they can do something for me, I'm all over it. That's very human, isn't it? Too often we pick leaders in our country, our nation, our world, and what can they do for me? How many times have people voted with their checkbook or their pocketbook? And Jesus was much deeper than that. He wasn't concerned nearly as much about their daily requirements as it was about a heart requirement. And it says literally they were going to take him and make him king, and he told the disciples to get in the one boat and take off across the Sea of Galilee. That was when we talked about storms of life. Isn't this interesting? It all kind of ties together. And then he took off for the mountain. To do what? To pray. 
And if Jesus Christ needs to pray, so do we. <laughs> That's all I can say. But with that in mind, that scenario, and he, oh, by, and then, of course, you know, he, he came to his disciples, walked on water, got in the boat, and instantly they were going to be. They were at Capernaum. Okay? Now, the crowd would have been on the other side of the lake, but they kind of figured out what they need to do, where they need to be. But with that, now let's dive in and start reading at verse 22. The day following, that's, I've just described for you what had happened before. The day following that, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you come? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do, that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. And they said, Therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all of which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father hath, which hath sent him draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. 
The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascendeth where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. An extended reading, but one that is full of meaning and glory of God. And may he add the blessing to the reading of his word. Let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father, we come into your presence. We're thankful for what you've done. We're thankful that you're a God we can go to with our concerns, our requests, and knowing, Father, that you can align our will with yours. Father, thank you for your mercy, your love, your tenderness, all of the things that make you sovereign, <coughs> mighty, and loving. Father, today I would ask that you would be with each one that's here today and those that will hear my voice from afar off, that literally, the, this day, relationally, we will have never been closer to you than these moments. Not because of me, Father, not because of any words that are said or thought, but because the Holy Spirit will exclusively be our teacher. We desire that. We would ask that he and he alone would take the word and take it to the level and depths that you want it to be. We pray that you'd be with each one of these that are here today, that you would bless them and their families. Father, lift them up, encourage them, and may the word of God go to the inner parts of our, of our very being, that you would do the work that you want done. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. We look with anticipation now for these moments that we commit to you for your glory and our good. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, that was, a, as I said, a lengthy uh, reading, but at the same time it was interesting that Jesus Christ uh, set this up. He set up this hearing by people that would have followed all the way around the lake to Capernaum to see this guy that could feed 5,000 with a happy meal. How did he do that? We need that guy. And it was set up perfectly because then Jesus says something that just blew their minds. 
I am the bread of life. But that isn't even what they heard originally. They heard something that really bothered them. They heard this in verse 33. It says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. <laughs> Whoa! That was a urch stop. Put the stop line on. That's weird. We think we know. In fact, we'll find they're going to go from seeking to murmuring to striving to leaving. A whole lot of them did that. There's four passages, if you will, and they were seeking him for the wrong reasons. And then they can't figure out what he's talking about because... Did, he, did you guys hear that? Yeah, in fact, it, take your Bibles and, and just for a moment. Verse 33 we just read, but look at verse 38. We're just going to be looking for that when he says, For I came down from heaven. Verse 41, 42. And they said, Is this not jo Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from... Are you, are you getting the message? He's making it very clear that he, Jesus, who just declared himself to be the bread of life, we'll talk about that as through, this, through this course of time, that he came down from heaven. What is he claiming? That he's God. That's a big claim. That's not going over very well. In fact, they were happy that he would feed them with happy meals. Don't say you're God. That doesn't work for us. See, that's the thing about truth. It really doesn't matter whether you believe it. It doesn't really matter if the majority believes it. Truth remains truth regardless of who believes it, if God says it. And truth meets reality. So he's got something now. Jesus has claimed something that literally needs to be fulfilled. It needs to make sense. It needs to meet reality. In fact, he goes on to say uh, that the resurrection. That's one of the... Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. That, that's not... Well, that's usual for me, isn't it, actually? They were looking for food, not truth. Would you say that's a pretty good statement for our country today? We're looking for stuff, not truth. <laughs> we need truth and not stuff in America. We need truth. Those people needed truth. And Jesus dished it out. He gave them a full serving of truth. They didn't need food. They needed life. Life is a gift, isn't it? And he's going beyond, above and beyond what they were looking for. They were looking for food which only sustains life. And Jesus was offering to give them eternal life. How many of you just sign up for eternal life? Hopefully every hand would pop up because that's really what it's all about. I want to get to the level of which that's what it's all about. You know, and tomorrow you guys are going to eat probably three meals a day. If you don't, it wasn't because you didn't want to. Probably wanted maybe even a snack in between. But that's just for that day. Jesus has literally said, what I fed you guys, you 5,000 out of this little kid's happy meal, and it was awesome, that's just for that day. I'm offering you eternal life because I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. When he claimed to be God, he claimed he could do that. He came from heaven. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. He's declaring to be God. Look with me to John chapter 13 and verse 3. We'll bear this, we'll kind of go through this a little bit more. John chapter 13 and verse 3. Watch this. He says it in a different way now. In fact, we should start get our context right. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 13 of John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come that he should depart out of this world 
unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, that was the one that betrayed him, Simon, I'm sorry, it's right there, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, watch this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He was going back to heaven. John chapter 16, let's just keep going. John chapter 16, verse 28. He says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Chapter 17, verse 5. Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's why in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word being Jesus Christ. There's one other thing that I want you to see. Well, I'm, I'm going to do it now because you're in John, but I may forget when I'm supposed to do it. So let's go to John chapter 1, and let's look at a couple of verses here that I think are significant, especially as we approach this. John chapter 1, as we've already said in the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is declaring now to these that are following him. Let's just, keep, let's just read this passage. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So you have in their presence right now this man, that is, this, this God-man, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, has declared for those in front of him, I am. And he was the one that created everything that was there. Verse 4, in him was life. Oh, that fits perfectly. And the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You're, you're actually watching this develop in chapter 6 of John, verse 12. But as many as received him, this is what he's asking them to do, John chapter 6, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now watch verse 14. But the word was made flesh. Remember what Jesus said in chapter 6? He said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. This literally, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Look at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's very fitting as we unfold and unpack this whole situation that Jesus has done by providing miracles to prove the fact that he is the Messiah, the, that he is, if you will, the word. He is the truth. There are two words that stick out that Jesus continues to, to reiterate through this passage that we read that was lengthy. Those two words are come and believe. Come and believe. They were coming for food, and he wanted to give them eternal life. Let's watch what happens in, uh, let's see, where do we want to go? Let's go to, uh, they were looking for a sign. Let's go to verse, let's go back to chapter 6 of John. 
And, and it is interesting. I do want to, there's a verse here that just sticks out at me. Uh, with, with, uh, with, with your permission again, let's go to verse 26. He says to them, they're on the other side of the sea. They've seen, why, how did you get here? When did you get here? He says, verse 26, chapter 6, verse 26. Verily, verily, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Pretty clear, cuts right through it. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that which meat sh- which endureth unto the everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And they said, What? They said, What shall we do? That is every single religion that is outside of trusting Christ as Savior. What can we do? We always want to do something, right? How much of what is he asking them to do right now? Two things, two words. What was it? Come and believe. Because if you're believing, you're coming. And if you come, you're right there to believe. He wants them there to, to come and partake and believe. There's, that's really, to do anything is out, outside of what would work. In fact, he goes on, verse 20, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. And they said, verse 30, now, what did we just, have we just talked about the fact that he blew them away? Let's, let's, go to, let's just say that we were, what are we going to be doing? Folks, there's going to be 5,000 of us. Where are we at? What are we going to be doing? We'd be up in the mountains somewhere because there's nowhere you could get. There was no McDonald's close by. In fact, the disciples were quick to say, easy, why would we want to eat? I don't know, but if there's nowhere close to eat, so we're up in the mountains somewhere. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus says, you know what? The sun's going down. We should probably feed them. Be, you know, just don't ch- ch- chase them away. <clears throat> oh, really? With What? And he miraculously feeds 5,000 people. What would you do? Make him king? Yeah, we want this guy. This is, a, this is what I'm talking about. This is who we want to be leading us. This will work out. Right? And then, you don't even know this, but the disciples do. He left. They go on, the, and then we go to the Ruby Reservoir. No, we don't. The disciples, they get in their boat and go across the ruby river. This isn't really fitting together perfectly, but it's okay. It'll work. And he walks across the water in the middle of the night in a vicious storm, and they think he's a ghost. And he says, no, don't fear. It's me. Really? (laughs) I haven't seen a lot of people walking in the water. And he gets in the boat, and it says they were right where they were going to be. Just boom, they're right in Capernaum. That's like miracle, miracle, miracle. Now watch what they ask the next day. Are you ready? I wanted to set that up. Here we go. Watch verse 30. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe you? <laughs> really? They didn't get that? What would have we done? Probably the same thing. It would have worked for that day. But if he didn't give us something new, <laughs> something more, is that not true? That is really true of us. That is really true. We always want more. We want more, and we want more. <laughs> so they, they said, you know what? In fact, the rabbis have been teaching this for, for centuries. When the Messiah comes, that's the one that would come to save us. This is the anointed king. This is the Christos, Jesus Christ. That's his Christos equals Messiah, the coming redeemer. They felt that he, the Messiah, would prove himself by literally bringing manna from heaven, just like Moses leading the Israelites through the wilderness. God gave them manna. That's why they asked what they did. You know, our our fathers had manna. Now, they missed it all. What did he just tell them? 
No, no, I'm not going to give you something to nourish yourselves. I'm literally going to give you life. He was the bread of life. See, see, it's just like zoom. Well, zoom, right? Right by, right over him. Wow. Verse 32, I want to point this out again. Verily, verily, I said to you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father, ooh, did you see what he said? My father, that's God, giveth you the true bread from heaven. Literally, God has given you the manna that I'm declaring to be the bread of life, the very life itself which you need. Not yet. Let's look at, I'm just trying to figure out where we want to just keep rolling here. Um, One of the things I think is important here, you you look at, uh, there's God's sovereignty written. Have you seen, there's numbers of verses where God chose. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has drawn you. Okay, that's the sense of God's sovereignty. And do I believe that God is sovereign? Absolutely. But there's also the thing, we've talked about two words that Jesus is addressing them. They have a responsibility. What? Come and believe. Come and believe. That's human responsibility. Someone asked, and by the way, that's, a, that's an interesting, when you talk about God's sovereignty versus human responsibility, it's a tricky place, isn't it? Because no matter where you land, you're not quite... Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, the, the pastor of... What, he was in the 1800s. And a wonderful, wonderful... What should I say? A teacher of the word. And someone said, would you please reconcile... Sovereignty and human responsibility. You know what he said? I don't have to reconcile friends. That's exactly what they are. When you come and believe, the choosing, the sovereignty, it all fits together. It's just like that. When the, pre, when the, when the, when the scripture talks about sovereignty, you, you talk about sovereignty. When it talks about whosoever will, you talk about whosoever will. And you know what? They're friends. You have to come through Christ. There's no question about that. Jesus has made an absolute, without question, exhortation, except you come through me, there's no way. Now, that seems exclusive. What did I say about truth? What, not that I said about truth. What does the Bible, what does truth respond? There are no two alternative truths. Can't have opposite endings and have truth. One's wrong. Both could be wrong, right? We got a lot of both wrongs right now in truth. You listen to the news, there's a lot of untruth. Even though they're opposite, they're, neither one is true. Right. Have you ever seen the spin? I, I better not. I'm not going to go down there. I'm not going to. Just about sucked myself into that one. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. All right, let's keep moving. Quick, before I. Before I let, but let's look, at, let's look at God's perspective on how he sees humans, how he sees the giving of life. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. says this. Oh, we got to step back just a second. Uh, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, semicolon, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's what God wants. God wants all men to understand truth. Now turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, and it says this. Seems like my Bible's not as cooperative today. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us word. 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, those are two verses in particular that it talks about God's desire that you would come and believe Jesus. And believers that believe that not only, and we're going to talk about this as we go on here too, not, even, not only believing that Jesus is God, I'll tell you right now, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then his sacrifice would not have been good enough. That means he was just a man, and he would have died for whom? Even if he lived a perfect life for himself, he would have went free. But when you, you have to believe that Jesus is deity, that is, he is God himself, God the Son, part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if he isn't God, it isn't enough. That's, that, that's absolutely, without question, that has to be believed. But the other part is, is you have to believe that Jesus came to die for our sins. And he did. In fact, that's what we're going to get into in, in a moment here where it talks about, um, well, in fact, let's just go there. I think it fits in perfectly. Let's go to, uh, well, actually... I have to say it one more time because they lost the whole momentum of what was going on. There's something they heard, but they didn't hear anything. You ever been in a conversation like that? Yeah. You you listened and you haven't heard anything that was said except what you wanted to hear. Right? It's happened. Sometimes I'll say this. I'll say, no, I'm. This is what I heard. Now I'm going to repeat back to you what I heard. Tell me if that's right. That's good. Sometimes husbands and wives sometimes need to do that. Honey, this is, this is what I just heard you say, and when I say, that is not what I said. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And that's happened, and you're laughing because it's happened a time or two, right? It's always good to make sure that you're hearing what was being said. Now, I want to stop because here we go. We go from seeking, and these people were seeking. No question they were seeking, but they were seeking the wrong thing. And then Jesus unfolds and said, I'm the bread of life. Verse 41, the Jews then murmured. They go from seeking to murmuring at him because he said I am the bread which came down from heaven and they said whoa 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 your, your dad is Joseph and your mother's Mary and you're from Nazareth and you're a carpenter's son and what's this coming down from heaven stuff they missed everything about the fact that he said I am the bread of life they couldn't get past it there was a, a rigidity a roadblock if you will and then he goes on to say that, again, in verse 48, I am the bread of life. In fact, verse 47 is imperative. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. That is so direct, is it not? You have to believe what I'm just saying now. You have to believe who I am. You have to believe why I'm here. And then you have eternal life. And I am that bread of life. They go from murmuring to striving. Verse 52 the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because he said in verse 51, I will get, uh, let's read verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, remember what we read in John chapter 1, verse 14? The word became flesh. The Word, that being Jesus Christ, literally being the Bible, the Word of God, what he is describing for us, and that's a little bit, in fact, as those Jews would have listened to that, if they would have acted to the Levitical law, and he says like this, he says, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That would have totally freaked them out. In fact, it's even hard for me. That doesn't really quite work. 
until you understand that he's not talking about literally. He has been talking about bread in the sense of a symbol already. So he's already using types and analogies. Now, if you, if you remember John 1.14, he says, the word became flesh. How do you eat his flesh and drink his blood? Through the word. Through the word of God. And just taking in the word, the truth of God. That's how it happens. And when you do that, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how we receive faith. That's how you're, you, in fact, if there's nothing in mankind that can literally just say, we're going to talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in a little bit. Is there anything within us that brings us to God? Chapter 2 of Ephesians says we are dead. I'm sorry, in Romans says we are dead in trespasses and sins. But literally, what can a dead person do for themselves? Have you seen anyone that's in a coffin? There are some that have been buried alive and they woke up. That's a very rare occurrence, and that's weird. They knock, you know, something happened, they were in a coma, and they wake up. I'm not talking about, I'm talking dead people that are in a, that are in, in a coffin. What can they do for themselves? Nothing. Nothing. We talked about this if you're under the law and someone's driving the hearse and you're in the coffin and you're driving too fast. He's driving too fast. Do you give the ticket to the... I don't know who to give the ticket to. Well, of course the driver's going to get the ticket. You're dead. It's the same. We have nothing within us that can literally... Because of sin, by the way, I want to be careful to say, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they died. They literally died. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says that death came by sin. Let's read it. I just phased out. Hold your spot. We'll be right back. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This speaks of it perfectly. You do Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Here we go. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all had sinned. Is that not true? Is that not something that's real? When, 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 I'll tell you what, in the Butte Standard... Or the uh, the Bozeman comical, I mean Chronicle. Um, if you read those and all of a sudden there's no more obituaries, then let me know. Or any other paper. Or show me where there's no more need for a cemetery. That is exactly what is happening in a world that is plagued by sin. It's reality. It's truth. That's exactly what's happening. And God took care of that by sending the bread of life. Not only to sustain life, but to give eternal life. Wow. And they asked, how can this man give us flesh, his flesh to eat? I mean, now that's, they're pondering something that is not anywhere near of what he's asking them to do. And then he actually goes beyond the point of, and that's why I think it's so vivid. They're, wait, it was like, remember Nicodemus chapter 3 of John? Jesus said, be born again. How am I going to enter my mother's womb again? That, that is so weird, Jesus. But he wasn't talking about that. Just like right here. And then he goes way out there and he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot have eternal life. Now, he's obviously not thinking about literally. He's talking about the word became flesh. And the only way to do that is through the word of God, through truth that he's literally there right before them. Now, is it harder to understand or harder to accept? a little tricky, wasn't it? Yeah, at first. But I will say that most of the time, it's probably when you understand something, it's a lot harder to accept it than it is to understand it. I think for Jesus, as he unfailed this, he said, you must believe in me. Now, that would require them to take a step back and probably swallow some pride, probably say, you know what, we didn't have the right sense of that. And the other thing we want to be careful to say is our internal 
our heart is dirtier than we thought it was. So we have to bow. That's hard to accept. Did they finally understand it? I think they did. You know why I think they did? They left. <laughs> they departed. What didn't they like? Because he wasn't what they wanted. Because they didn't believe it. What, and why? Because they couldn't accept it. Because they didn't want it. And if they, and if they had accepted it and believed it, they would have understood it. That's exactly right. That's the coming and believing part, see? When, they, when you come and believe, it takes care of itself. There, in fact, if, if you're going to, well, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to, because it fits perfectly, I think, as we've talked about the bread of life, then the question we want to ask is, why does the world reject the word? Or why does the world reject the truth? This is the truth, Jesus Christ. And you can say, how do you, you know, I mean, you're, you're standing up there and you're saying, I'll tell you what. The one thing for me is still, I've said this a hundred times, and if it was not true, I could not do this. I could not be here. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, my life is over because it's just like anybody else. And you say, well, you weren't there when he was raised from the dead. Yeah, but, but there's so much proof. 1 Corinthians is written, and they said he appeared to 500 or more. When he wrote that, when Paul wrote that, there would have been so much re uh, refuting of that claim there would be all kinds of documentation. You know what? Zero. He, appoint, he, he actually uh, appeared to his, his uh, half-brother, James. And we could go in, and you know what his family thought of Jesus? They thought he was kind of a... Right? I mean, really. You go home, and, and somebody did something. Somebody broke the window. Well, Mary said, I know Jesus didn't do it, so which one of you did it? I want one of you. Right? And in fact, they said, why don't you just go to Jerusalem? Just go. It's, it's kind of like us. If you think you're so good, just, just go. if you're a great actor, go to Hollywood. Just get out of here. They actually told him to leave home. But you know what? After he appeared to James one-on-one, -on -one, guess what happened to James's life? Totally changed. Those 12 disciples. Now, 11, because one of them... Had, and I, again, jumping ahead, but you remember what Peter said at the very end of what our session was we read in chapter 6? He said, we believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you can only say it for yourself. In this room, every single one of you is responsible for yourself. And when he said that, what did Jesus say? He said, there's one of you that's a devil. It wasn't all of them. And he fooled everyone else, Judas Iscariot. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, when you take all of that into consideration, you have a lot of things that are going on. Harder to accept, harder to understand. I think the acceptance is incredibly difficult. We don't want to believe. No. We don't want to believe because we don't understand. And when we don't understand, pride gets in our way and says, I don't understand it, therefore I'm not going to believe it. See, Jesus says, believe it, and you'll understand it. That's, that's right. In fact, I'll, t I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story. And this is, this is a man that has since passed away. But we met on a several occasions, and he said, the one thing I do not understand, I just cannot reconcile this in my mind. How can a loving God allow innocent children to suffer? And that was, that was a roadblock for him. That was just that was a huge hang-up. And by the way, I didn't necessarily have a great answer, because it's, I don't know. I just know that the conflict between good and evil is very intense. Very intense. And it came to the point, I said, you, you've got to make a decision. What you understand about 
God. What you know, process it. There's one thing, and in this case, um, this man's wife had come to Christ later in life, and he could not refute how her life has changed. How, how, are, we known, how are Christians known by? They're known by their love. He's, and I said that. I said, I said his name, and I said, you, let, me, let me ask you this. Can you say in your wife's change in behavior? He said, Larry, that's why I have you here. I can't explain it. I said, it's the same thing that I can't explain why God does that. I don't know all of the answers to the rest of it, but you must come to a point that you believe on what you know. And Jesus said, there is one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. That you must accept. As far as the periphery, if you can, I'll say this to you as well here. If you can figure everything out and you've got all your questions answered, then your God is not big enough. That's all I've got to say. I don't want to be putting an infinite sovereign God in a box that I can go get off the shelf and tell him everything that I understand. My God's got to be a lot bigger than that. And he is. And he is. And a lot of times it's a lot easier to reject or push off things that we don't understand, that we don't want to believe. In fact, I said this. There's another story that just popped in my head. There's a fuel guy. Um, and he sells large quantities of fuel. And we've been engaged in numbers of discussions. And he believes that uh, there is a God, but it's just it. It's a force. And I said, well, that's not the God of the Bible. He's personal. He loves you. Jesus Christ died for you. And he just blows it off. And I said, let me ask you a question, though. It's more importantly... If you really could, if you had the evidence to prove to you now, I'm not, I don't even know what that is, Steve. I don't even know that, but I want, I want you to, for just a second, just believe that there's maybe some way for you to be able to get to the point and there would be unequivocal truth that God is who he says he is. Could you accept it? He stepped back. I don't know. I said, you just answered the question. Because if it was true, you should accept it. Because truth is all it's all about. Correct? See, sometimes we don't want to believe because it's easier for us not to believe. That's what these people really had found themselves engaged in right here. And then rejecting the word, they're rejecting the Savior. You receive the word, you receive the Savior. Experiencing new life. There's another verse I'd like to show. I don't think we've been there. John chapter 5, verse 24 uh, fits in here. John chapter 5, verse 24. Uh, this bread was eternal. I hadn't maybe said that. That's the other thing. For him to say, I am the bread of life, you know what would have to happen? And, and we talked about this numerous times. He said, I came from heaven. We, we talked about his deity, right? If the bread wasn't eternal, he couldn't offer what he's offering. You see what I'm saying? He couldn't be any less than God. That has to be a premise. It has to be there. John chapter 5, verse 24. Again, his words, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. One of the things are, did, now, those people the day before, 
as he fed them, why did they eat? Because they're hungry. Larry, that's pretty deep. That's absolutely true. How is it that Jesus is asking them now? See, he used that to set up the next day for his sermon. Perfect place. He says, I am the bread of life. What is he asking him? Are you hungry spiritually? And you know what? There's something that God made. As we could go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I think it's like verse 11. I'm not positive. But it talks about even in God's creativity, and His cre- he created a, an, a vacuum. There's an eternal part of us, and you can't be satisfied until that's filled with the right thing. And, and if you don't think that's true, you look at all of the things that the world is chasing after. Look at the billionaires. They can afford anything. The Bill Gates and the, the, from yesteryear, the Howard Hughes. I mean, it chased and anything money could buy. And if it was less than finding Christ, that bread of life, as he's described himself, to have everlasting, you know what? It's just not enough. It's void. It's vacant. There, you can't, and, he, and you bounce from one thing to the other. Is that not true? Look at Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. That guy had more money than we can even imagine. I mean, he makes Bill Gates look like a peon. I mean, it was tons of gold he'd get every year. You know what? It was all the same. Anything under the sun, S-U-N, is all vanity. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Without G- and that's the way we were made. That's the way we're made. So there's a spiritual hunger, whether you admit it or not, that is there. Jesus is asking, come to the Savior and be satisfied. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 42. John chapter 8, verse 42. I'm not even sure how this fits in, but I've got it written down right here, so let's find out. John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, oh, this is good. If God were your father, they've just said that he is our father, the, the Jews, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Isn't that true? If, if you really, if God was your father, then you would love me because I came from him. That was a big statement, wasn't it? That didn't exactly get him excited and make friends. Because what he's saying is, is you're not at all of God the Father. Let's turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Then I'm going to switch gears for a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writing, oops, I'm in second, that's not going to work out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. There we go. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. A lot of the situation in the sense of even how we receive the word of God is up to God. I was going to add, I think I asked the question, but I want us to ponder that for a moment. Now, what Jesus, is what Jesus saying, is it hard for us to, to, to uh, understand? Not really. He's asking us, he's asking them, which is the same as us. He's saying, I am the bread of life. And not only do I sustain life, I'm giving life. Not asking you to buy it. You can't, you can't buy it. It's, it's, it's out of your price range, no matter how rich you are. There's no one that could buy eternal life. Can't do it. You can't trade for it. You must receive it by believing on me. Pretty straight. Pretty under, right? 
And yet, at the end, we read it. What did it say after he said all of that? Many departed from him. They didn't want to accept what they understood. So a question I have is, why does the world reject the word? I'd like us to go to something that I think has plagued our nation today, even. Um, it's in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Amos. Amos chapter 8. Amos chapter 8, and you'll find that on page 1322, if you have exactly the Bible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Amos chapter 8, and verse 11. This, this, is, a, this is something that is, is frightening in its own way, and this is not necessarily to us as Americans, but it's something to God's people that took place. Amos chapter 8, and let's look at verse 11. Behold, behold means pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. Focus, people, focus. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Now, how many have you guys had famines? What is a famine? No food, dry, it's not working out. There's an absence of something. Okay, let's keep going. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Wow! A famine of God's word. Can't find it. Wouldn't that be something? Woof! And I think we've found it in America. There's a famine of God's word, and certainly in the sense of accepting it. In fact, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Uh, it seems appropriate again. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Say, did you guys have homework last week? What was it? Ah, it was. That's, that's why I mean why I remembered it. So this will be, you'll be able to just flip your Bibles there to Romans chapter 1. But watch this for a moment. This will tie in nicely as we're going to go to our next section. Romans chapter 1, and let's watch this develop. Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, now watch, when they knew God, they glorified not uh, glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. That's what's going on across our country today. There's a whole lot of people that think they're wise in their own eyes, which is another way of saying they're very prideful, correct? And they literally are fools. It's true. I mean, I, I'm not, it's not me. I, I mean, it sounds like I'm saying, that is what the Bible says, and it fits perfectly to where we are in our time frame and what we're doing today. Any, when, you, when you think of some of the things that are, that the ideas that they're seeing as truthful, um, getting rid of law, getting rid of police, getting rid of, what are we thinking? That doesn't make any sense because it isn't senseful. Now, why? You just look at this. Let's go all the way back down to now, um, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's called a famine. Now, not necessarily. And as, as, as you continue to move away from God, as you continue to, to, to basically act anti-magnetic, 
I mean, you, you, you were repelling from God's word. Guess what happens? A famine of God's word is going to take place. It is. But watch. Verse 28, I'll read it again. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They're improper. That verse today never rang more true than it is right now. You go, and, and I don't, I'm not, Portland, Seattle, whatever it might be, the inner cities that are just struggling. But the whole sense of the entire environment and atmosphere and all of the spin, we've lost our sense and well-being of what truth is all about. And that's what the truth, Jesus Christ, is declaring when he says, I am the bread of life, you must come and believe me. That will change a lot of things. A change a lot. So again, the question is, and you say, Larry, you've asked the question three times and we're not going there. Um, let's, one more time. Why does the world reject the word? Well, one of the things we went to Amos and we saw that there, I, I believe there's a famine of the word. Let's go to, I want to go to our next passage. How are you guys doing here? You need a, you need a break? Good. That, I like it. Tony's on my side. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's turn into chapter 1, verse 18. Let's start to watch why the world rejects the word. Rejects the word. The first thing we're going to find, and we find in verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, watch. For the preaching of the cross, now again, um, let's stop there for just a second. He said, Larry, why do you keep stopping? I don't know. But the preaching of the cross, what is that? What does that mean? That Jesus Christ, he, when he said, you must eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, what you're literally doing is you're believing and taking in the truth that he laid down his life. His life was a sacrifice for us. For sin. That's the, that's the message of the cross, or as it said right here, the preaching. I'm sorry, I've got to get my glasses on. Where did I leave you? The preaching of the cross is to them that perish, in other words, are not accepting it, foolishness. Foolishness. That's one of the things is, uh, let me just play this out. And, and this is literally from human standpoint. You see, okay, I want to tell you about a God that sent his son into a world and the Romans killed him. But he rose again and you have to trust him for your sins to have eternal life. First go, what does that sound like? I'm catching butterflies. Pretty much, right? It's weird. It's foolishness. It makes no sense. What do you mean? Why would God let the Romans kill him? And why would he be killed? What would be the point of that if, right? You see where it's going? It sounds like foolishness. Let's keep going. So that's one of the reasons. It just doesn't make any sense. I, it's unreasonable. In fact, the Greek word there is a call is a word. I haven't used my board. We'll write something on here. Um, the word is moria. It's foolishness. It's moria. You know what that? You know what we get from that? Moron. <laughs> it's moronic. It makes no sense to the basic human mind. But let's keep going. It's not only foolishness, moronic, unreasonable. Let's go to verse nineteen. For it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing." The understanding of the prudent. 
When, when human wisdom grabs this, and we just read Romans chapter 1, it just, it's not attainable. I mean, it doesn't, it just doesn't work, does it? I'm just, now, again, don't look at it. If you're, if you're here and you've trusted Christ as Savior, everything changes. Everything changes. But we'll, I'll get to it in a second. And not only is it foolishness, it's unattainable. Look at verse 22. Does this not fit where we're at in John? Uh, verse 22. For the Jews require a sign. <laughs> Isn't that exactly what they did? He just fed 5,000. He walked in the water. The, the disciples were exactly in Capernaum. And they said, uh, we'd like you to show us a sign. <laughs> right? And then it says the Greeks want what? Wisdom. So they, people want a sign and they want... Now, Jesus Christ actually did give a sign. The resurrection. And that still doesn't work. Now, I will say this. It's a lot easier for me to be standing here to you in the year 2020 with the whole word of God being complete... 66 books, 40 authors, over 1,500 years. If I sent this group right here, and I told you I want you to write about truth from God's perspective, and I'll give you 20 years to do it, what are the chances of you guys having works individually that match up and integrate perfectly? Think of 40 authors, 66 books, 1,500 years. That's a miracle in itself. It is. It truly is. It's, it's unbelievable. It's undeniable. Show me another one like it. There isn't. There isn't. Crazy. Am I a little bit over the top today? A little too animated? Sorry. Where did I leave you now? Which verse? Oh, the requiring a sign. The resurrection. The Greeks were seeking after wisdom. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 for a moment. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 16. Luke eleven sixteen. 16. This was a common theme. You'll find it all through the, through, the, through the Gospels. It says, Others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. They wanted a sign. Now watch. Uh, we've already seen it in John chapter 6. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus actually... Uh, I'm not going to say reprimands them, but he lays it out there. He says, you want a sign? You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Matthew chapter 12, and let's look at verse 38. And again, watching the same thing. And certain of the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from you. We want a sign from you. Watch what he says. He says, he answers and he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, and because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. What literally, what happened? He rose from the dead. That very sign that he said what happened, and he said that before he died. That sounds like cool. Let me me ask you, if Jesus was in this place right now, and we said, you know, Jesus, could you give us a sign? And he says, that. What has he just said? He says, I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. What do you think about that, Paul? 
What do you think? What do you, and, and you don't know the Bible. I mean, you just, this guy's just, he's in the room and he says, I'm going to be in the ground for three days and three nights and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Eee, right? But guess what? What would make it work for you if it happened? Are you going to be watching this guy? You're going to take down notes and on such and such, August 23rd, 2020, this guy said he's going to rise from the dead after he dies. I'm going to mark that down. And he did. That would get my attention. It has. That's why I'm here before you today. If I did not believe 100% that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and beat the penalty and the power of sin, I couldn't stand in front of you and declare the truth of the Bible because it's a total fraud. Because he declared things that if he didn't rise, didn't happen. But that's what truth does. It meets reality. It meets reality. Okay, let's keep going. It's also, it's, let's see, where, where did I have you? Okay, okay. It's not reasonable. It's unattainable. It's certainly unattractive. And then let's look at verses 26 through 28. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's look at verses 26 through 28. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring not things that are. What's he saying? In a long way around, the people that are even describing the gospel are not particularly remarkable. They're not the most famous. They're not the most outgoing. They're not, right? From a, again, from a human standpoint, the human wisdom, it seems foolish, it seems unattainable, and it certainly does not seem very attractive. Turn to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And I, brethren, when I came to you, this is Paul, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything of among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We'll come back to that section in just a minute. I was with you in much, I'm sorry, and I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. How impressive would that man have, would have been? Just, just play those adjectives out. Play those attributes. He was, would he convince you if it was just him? That's what makes the truth so magnificent is it doesn't take the orator, or the speaker, who he or she is to describe truth. Truth comes from God. In fact, let's look at this. It literally comes from the Holy Spirit. Um, let's see, where did I have that? Uh, let's go over to, oh, what verse is that? Oh, verse 14. That's not right. Just a second, I'll get it. Where is it at? Excuse me? Um, there's another place here. Oh, I must not have written it down. Oh, there, there it is. There it is. Verse 10. Verse 10. Here we go. Verse 10. Same chapter, chapter 2. Okay, watch this. But God hath revealed them unto us, in other words, these truths, how? By his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 14, 
But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritual discerned. If you take a normal man or woman, the gospel in and by itself is just raw foolishness. It takes the Holy Spirit to guide that person in truth. How does that happen? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What did Jesus ask us to do, or them to do in chapter 6 of John? Read the word. Through the word. The word became flesh. Read the word. Let the word, let the spirit work through the word. So if we're having problems understanding or believing what Jesus is saying, Let's go to Psalm chapter 25. These are things we could pray. If you're seeking, if you're searching for God, there's some things you can do. You may not understand everything, and glory be, that's good, because if you did understand everything, it would be scary. Psalm chapter 25, verse 5. Watch this. Uh, David is saying this. He's, he's asking the Lord to do this. This is literally a prayer. Lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. I'm looking to you, God, for guidance. I'm looking for you to guide me in truth. I'm looking for you to teach me. That's a great prayer, especially if you don't know God personally. Turn over to Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Call out to God. Diligently seek him. Even in Jeremiah chapter 29, don't go there, but it talks about the fact that he's, he's, asked, he's telling the Israelites, if you diligently seek me, you will find me. Now, I want to take us back to close today. Guess what Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37. Let's go back and find out. John chapter 6, verse 37. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you're serious and you come to God, he's going to reveal himself to you. When you come and believe, literally, as Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, eternal life is yours. Eternal life is yours. When you believe everything that Jesus was and is, Now, why doesn't the world believe the word? It's foolishness. To the, to the human mind, foolishness. What was the second one? Unattainable. Number three, unattractive. I mean, really? Really? I remember as a young boy, actually, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior when I was, well, let's see, it was 1960. I'll be like, like six years old. And it was that, it was an opportunity, we were sitting, my mother and I were on a swing set. You know those ones that you really never quite complete? If you're, dads, are you laughing right now? No. It, it, you didn't fall apart parts together. It was one of those, right? But we were swinging on that, and I don't remember what my mother asked me, but it must have been something because the Holy Spirit, as I look back, I didn't know what it was then, but I was inside, I was convicted of my sin, which I couldn't do anything about. I couldn't fix it. And I sat there for a while. I, thought, I ran off. I went upstairs to my bed. It was an old two-story house. I climbed in the covers, covered it over. And you know what? It didn't really matter where I was at, right? But I literally, just as a young boy, I cried. I said, God, I can't do anything about this. 
There's not a thing that I can do about this. But I know I have, something's wrong. And she told me about Jesus. I said, Jesus Christ died for me. He loved me. You loved me by sending him to die for me. And I accept that as a free gift. And something changed. Something changed. No, I'm not saying every day after it was perfect, like Larry became this perfect Jesus. No, of course not. Anybody that knew me very much, my wife's laughing back here, right? Because Larry's not perfect, right? Okay, that was, a, that was something, okay? That was somebody who just found Jesus. <laughs> Sounded good. It's not true. That was not true. I don't know that. But, but, but the point of the matter... That one did, like, where, where was I at? Uh, oh, but, but, but some, but some, yeah, Larry not being good, that's a, that's, a, that's a book, that's a book. But really, there's something that goes on, though, is that walk that begins. See, at that point, positionally, God heard me, and he saw the blood of Jesus Christ, because that is what my faith and trust was in, because without that, it doesn't work. You can't get there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And you say, well, that's too exclusive. I didn't write the rules. God did. That's the way it is. And from that point on then, Jesus literally is walking with me. The Holy Spirit lived within me. Did you see how that was? And then the Holy Spirit speaks to you using the word of God. The more that you use the Bible, the more that you unfold truth, the Holy Spirit is able to discern and help you see. Did you see? Satan is there blinding the eyes. I'm thinking, let's, let's see if we can find this for a minute. Uh, the word that is used uh, at 2 Corinthians, I'll see if I can find it. If not, I won't belabor the point. 2 Corinthians, I'm thinking chapter 11. No, maybe it's 3 verse 11. Maybe that's it. I'll be there in a second. That is not right. Um, there it is. There it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. The word that's used, and I'll speak of it in another sentence we use in True Seekers on, on Thursday night. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent, this is Satan, beguiled Eve. He beguiled Eve, so their minds should be corrupted for the simplicity that is in Christ. See, that message of the gospel of Christ is so simple. It is, so, is it not? Jesus Christ died for my sins. And he rose from the dead to prove that it was good enough for God, and the sacrifice was paid in full. That's pretty cool. That word beguiled is to deceive. Now, if you don't think Satan is good at deceiving, if you go back to the end of the book, we've been studying end times with the, the True Seeker group on, on Thursday nights. And in chapter 20, it talks about the millennium. And Satan, for a thousand years, is bound in a chain. I don't know what that looks like. And he's cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. I say, amen. I'm kind of looking for him to be tied up right now. He's not apparently, if you look around the world, it's going pretty strong. But he knows his days are few. I really think we're living in the last days. You start to see all the things in Revelation that really didn't make a lot of sense even 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It's making a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. It could happen any day, literally. But anyway, I'm getting off, off course. And then after a thousand years, listen, listen carefully. For a thousand years, Jesus, now how long, how long ago is a thousand years? This is 2020, so that'd be 1,020. How many are around in the year 1,020? <laughs> I can't even comprehend it. What did they call that, the Dark Ages? What was, the, what was that period of time? Medieval. Medieval? It's a long time ago. Think of that. For 1,000 years, Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. He, it is a theocracy. It is as good as you could make it. 
There will be many uh, children born during that thousand years. You can't, environment can't be a problem. Government can't be a problem. Any bad influences can't be a problem. Bad friends, you do that what you want. I mean, it's, it's, it's a perfect, quote, put perf it's not quite perfect. Because after the end of the thousand years, guess what happens? They let Satan loose for a short time, and it says this. He deceived them. That is exactly what he's doing today. He's deceiving people. He does it through many ways. Through greed, through fear, through anything, power, money, sex, drugs, all of those things. He's deceiving people that there's something on the other side of that is what I need. And there's nothing there but more vacancy. Jesus Christ, I am the bread of life. Come and believe on me. That's his message. And he can back it up because the sign he gave absolutely came through. And it says, and there are numerous times in chapter 6 that we read today, at the last day he will raise them up that believe. That's my confidence. That's what I believe is truth. Praise God for what he has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, that you are interested in all men to come to you. Thank you that Jesus Christ paid the price for all sins. None were left out. There's not any one that needs to feel that they've sinned too much. No. It was sufficient. The sacrifice was perfect, complete. God the Father proved it by raising his son from the dead. Father, the love that you expressed even before the foundation of the world, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, you, you set this plan in motion before there was a plan to be in motion. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the word. And Father, I would ask that today, anyone that is hearing my voice that today, if they don't know Jesus Christ personally, that you would, through the very innermost thoughts of their heart, may the Holy Spirit convict and help them to understand truth. And that the Word of God, Father, would be revealed. That they would see the message of Jesus' work on the cross his statements that I am the bread of life. The bread of God, it said, as he came from heaven to minister to those, God with us, the word became flesh. All of those things point to an eternal Savior. And if that one will bow their knee, or bow their heart, if you will, Father, and to trust you with everything they have, leaning on you, turning from their sin, trusting you for their future, leaning on you for everything that is to come, then that person has become a brand new creature because of what Jesus Christ did. Their account has been changed. It was full of sin, and now it's full of Jesus Christ's righteousness. He took their sin and paid the price. Father, it's with a great deal of delight knowing that we serve a God that is above and beyond what we can imagine or think. 
I ask that you would be with these as their life's journey, Father. You know the steps that they will take. You know where it will take them. I ask that you would protect them, guide them, give them wisdom. Pray for wisdom for them, Father, especially in a time our world seems to have gone crazy. May Satan be bound from deceiving all of our political leaders, all of those that are in places of making decisions that affect many people. We pray in the battle of good and evil that Christians would get their game on. Father, you are the victor. It's proven by the end of the book. There's no question. You win. And we win that are in Christ. Eternal life given to us. Not earning, not work for, receiving because Jesus died for. That's the God we serve and love. Simple message, succinct, direct, and absolutely true. Thank you in Jesus' name.